The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up on the program, we will talk with Sandra Lax, a certified sex addictions therapist, once a month. We focus on addiction, so the kind of the ugly side of sex or when sex gets really, really unhealthy. So sex addiction is uh, is the focus tonight. If you've ever had to deal with that, then uh, please call in, share with us, talk to us, text us. We'll uh, focus tonight on healthy sex, like how do you develop a healthy attitude and a, a healthy way of being sexual after you have been uh, using sex in a compulsive, non-healthy manner. That's coming up after 10.15, but first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. You can also feel free to email me anytime, laurie at com. So I just want to do a follow-up. I, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before that I had reported to you and I'd ask... I had asked you for your help. Uh, they had removed my YouTube video. I did a YouTube um, interview with a trans woman, a very popular YouTuber who has uh, documented uh, her her transitioning. She's a young lady. She's in her early 20s, but has been uh, basically vlogging or like documenting on YouTube since the age of 12 or 13, uh, her name is Steph Sanyadi, and you can check it out if you check out my YouTube page at Dr. Lori Batito. Uh, anyway, so they, I got a letter from YouTube saying that they had uh, suspended me or it, they've removed the video, they were, I somehow violated their guidelines, and I got some really good tips from some of our of our listeners. Clearly, it was someone who flagged it or something, maybe because it had the word trans in it. I'm not sure. Anyway, I, I wrote them back, and I said, look, this is a documentary-style interview. I'm a professional. I work in the field of sexuality. I'm simply doing an interview about somebody's life. That's it. And so I got a letter today. Thank you for submitting your video appeal to YouTube. After further review, we've determined that your video doesn't violate our community guidelines. Your video has been reinstated and your account is in good standing. So all's well that ends well. Uh, I'm just glad that got uh, worked out. And actually, I was impressed because I thought it would take weeks before I got any kind of response. But no, they uh, they this was within two days of me sending them uh, this request to to review their decision, which I thought was ridiculous. Anyhow, uh, if you have any questions for me, 514-800, the beginning of every show, I'd like to be able to help you out and get those questions answered. So here's a, a question I got by email. Recently, my girlfriend and I decided to go toy shopping for her. When it came to choose... I realized how different we are, men and women. I chose something very simple and that looks like an actual penis, whereas she chose something colorful and shiny. But is this always the case? So the sex toy industry is huge. There's thousands upon thousands of choices. I would say there are far more toys for women 
than there are for men, and they come in all shapes and sizes. So you can get dildos that are just shaped like penises that some men, some women enjoy for uh, penetration. But if you look at the uh, how women are get most of their uh, arousal from, it's through clitoral stimulation. So a lot of the toys vibrate have, uh, may not be shaped like a penis. They can be shiny and colorful and pretty and cute. And uh, there are little vibrators with Hello Kitty on them and, and things like that. They can throw them in their purse. They don't look like vibrators. Those are all clitoral stimulators. So a lot of women will choose things that don't look like a substitute penis for them, but will rather choose something that is fun and maybe colorful and shiny. I'm maybe I'm making a generalization. It's not always the case. Some women like to go for their dildos or like to find uh, dildos or vibrating dildos that are that look as much as close as possible to a real penis. That's fine too. Everybody has different tastes. So when this is why actually it's important. That as a as the male partner may not be the best idea for you to go out and buy a sex toy for your partner unless you know what what she wants. If she says I like this or I like that, I like a clitoral stimulator or I like a dildo, then you you would know. But best to shop together so that you don't come home with something and she's like I'm not going to use this like because you're just making the assumption that she wants what a replacement penis, for example, when maybe yours isn't available or whatever to to be used at the same time or what have you. So there are just so many. And now there are so many toys that are also um, uh, toys for couples, which is uh, which is fun. Uh, sex toys for couples. WeVibe came out with a, a really good one too that uh, couples can use together. Uh, when should I get tested for sexually transmitted infections? So this is something that has certain guidelines uh, as to when and, and, and what you should get tested for. But if you're in a, let's say, a closed relationship, meaning a monogamous uh, relationship, the recommendation is that four weeks after breaking up with someone who you had sexual contact with, uh, is the time to do it and a follow-up blood test in three months to close the window period for HIV. So that would be the recommendation. Once you break up four weeks after you go for tests, uh, and also before engaging, uh, with sexual in sexual contact with a new person, you would want to get tested for people who engage in non-monogamous relationships or open relationships <clears throat> or those who have casual sexual activities. Here are the recommendations uh, set out by the, um, uh, basically, the, uh, what's the name of it? Action Action Canada for Rights, Reproductive Rights or something like that. So there's an organization, an umbrella organization for all the Planned Parenthoods in Canada. Uh, but they keep changing their name, so I forget exactly. Uh, and uh, so this was something that was written on uh, on one of their emails that was sent to me. Uh, so for people who are engaging casual relationships, every three months, for those who have more than 10 sexual contacts in three months, 
uh, people engaging in condom-free sexual intercourse, anybody in the um, sex industry or people who share needles. So every three months. Every six months, for those who have two to 15 sexual partners in a six-month span, uh, and people who are HIV positive should get frequent testing every three to six months. This doesn't all mean, by the way, unprotected sex either. Even protected sex, you should still be uh, getting tested. And whenever you are uh, symptomatic in any way, you should absolutely get tested. The Jewish General Hospital has an infectious disease clinic that has a walk-in clinic, but there are others in the city as well. If you're a student, Head and Hands does it, uh, McGill University does it. So there are many places that you can get um, STI uh, testing covered under Medicare. Coming up, we'll talk to uh, sex addictions therapist uh, Sandra Lax and talk about healthy sex. Your relationships on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Once a month here on Passion, we focus on sex addiction or sexual compulsive behavior. Unfortunately, something that is... uh, uh, all too prevalent, and it ha- seems to have been on the rise. Although it's always it's always been around, that a lot of people have an unhealthy relationship to sexuality. That's really what it's about: this unhealthy relationship to sexuality and a difficult time being in healthy, connected relationships or intimate relationships with. Uh, with partners. So we focus once a month on that. I want to give a voice to anyone who is suffering with sex addiction or sexual compulsive disorder. Uh, If you're concerned, if you have a question, if you've been wondering, hmm, I seem to be doing this a lot. Am I addicted to uh, sex? How are you feeling about this? Share with us. Ask us the questions. Tonight, Sandra Lax is here. She's a certified sex addictions therapist. She practices out of Toronto. Uh, she can be found at sandralax.com. That's with uh, an X, L-A-X, uh, .com. Sandra, hi. Hi, Laurie. Good to be back. It's always great having you on and discussing with you. And it seems that every month... Uh, there's at least one or two new stories that I have of of, of, uh, people who have come to see me with yet another uh, issue with sex addiction. Of course, we see them in our offices because that's they they've come to their own conclusion that they have a problem with sexuality. But there's plenty of people out there who do have an unhealthy relationship to sex who may not be uh, seeking help, right? Absolutely. You know, we... We characterize sex addiction as an intimacy disorder. So people who struggle with uh, being able to connect relationally, people being able to access their feelings and express themselves in ways that we can come to know one another. And instead of doing that, what happens with sex addiction is we turn away from relationships um, to soothe or numb out more uncomfortable feelings or uncomfortable memories that we have from our from our past or our current lives. So, you know, when we think about sex addiction, like you said, it, it, it affects, you know, many people. I think the latest statistic is 5 to 7% of the population, and I think it's rise so much over 
particularly the last 10 years or so with access, you know, to the Internet, with yeah. the anonymity that's involved, you know, with the Internet. Um, you know, it used to be you had to either walk into a, a magazine store and look on the top shelf or... Yeah, um, it was harder, much harder to, to find. Store. Yeah, What's that, Lori? It was much harder to find or it, get your hands on it. It was much harder to find. And now, you know, there, it's, it's basically at the people's fingertips. So... Um, you know, and the more and more we numb out as a society, the less and less we're able to connect. So sex addiction, again, is is much like other addictions it, in some ways. It's, it's different in other ways. But if you think of, you know, alcoholism, it's it's not the Jim Beam that is actually what someone wants. It's, it's the feeling that comes from being intoxicated. And similar right. with sex addiction, it's usually not about... Um, the type of porn someone's watching or, uh, or you know, the type of prostitute someone's hiring or the amount of people that they're acting out with, it's the feeling that they're really looking for, which is to feel uh, disconnected and, um, and just out of reality for a little while. Yeah, I saw this week, I saw a couple, and it was very sad, actually, uh, been together for 12 years from, from teenagehood until adulthood, and for and this the this young man uh, who's now close to thirty uh, had been compulsively looking at uh, pornography since puberty, so from from a very early age, and the partner never knew, and uh, and was dealing with anxiety. So it turned out he was able to identify that he was anxious, but it led him to be suicidal. That's how mm-hmm. badly he felt about it. And only at that point did the partner even know, like it was only then that it was told uh, to her. And what really came out of all of this, like from from my interview with them, was how disconnected they actually were from each other. Yeah. Emotionally, how they could, didn't talk about the emotions, the deeper emotions, and how they were able to, because of that, to to not really know that part of each other. It was kept so hidden. I see, you know, I, I, I hear you and I see that a lot, you know, also in the, in my practice where what we, what we call a double life, you know, that, you know, 12 years you can be together, but you don't know how someone's, you know, accessing their sexuality or, or what they're doing on the computer screen. I mean, it, it does, mm-hmm. it does talk about how separated, you know, one's life of addiction is and uh, versus one's relational life is. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of people, especially, you know, with the generation coming up, they're getting their sex ed through uh, pornography. pornography. And so the, it's it's very difficult then when you get with a human where there are other variables like rejection or, um, you know, inexperience or emotions, <laughs> emotions, right? People don't know necessarily know what to do um, because, you know, that's not a part of the picture in pornography. And it's also not, a, a, you know, part of the picture um, with someone who uh, is is engaging in sexual behaviors that are not necessarily right. relationship based. So I was reading, uh, and, and I think I agree with this. Uh, UK has a plan to block online pornography, like to, that you have to prove that you're 18, because and maybe I don't know if you're seeing this too that addiction can start young. You look, you take a, thir- a 12, 13, 14 year old, 15 year old, just discovering sex, just discovering their erections and, uh, orgasm and young teenage boys can masturbate many, many times a day and they can be obsessed with it. 
and and then now they have before it was using fantasy or just looking at one image or what have you and now there's such a variety of things to look at that they can spend a, a huge amount of time uh, yeah. surfing and looking for the porn that they want and masturbating uh, to such a degree that I wonder how that uh, how much that has an impact on the developing uh, on, on developing a sex addiction later on. Well, I think I think it's that it, it, people be, can be predisposed towards an addiction, particularly if you know at a young age they're starting to explore their sexuality, which is a beautiful thing, you know. But I think if you are online and you are looking at images constantly, again, you're not connecting with real human and and uh, and not being able to do it in in a relational way. The other thing is that. You know, you can a person can go online at a young age and go down this rabbit hole of almost never ending images. Right. And that's very different from real life and, and how we achieve almost success in real life by investing in something or investing in someone or investing in a relationship. Whereas, you know, if someone's primed at the at their onset to cu- couple sex uh, with um with uh, so much choice and uh, and really high risk sex in a lot of the images and um, uh, sex is very demeaning of women. I mean, that's the sense that they'll probably bring into their mm-hmm. to their sexual lives unless they get you know healthy sex education, which is starting right. to be reinstated back into schools and and also in just in the communities in general, which is such an amazing shift. I think what's important if there is a way, if there is a way to uh, block kids from from porn, like where they have to prove their age. I don't know how they would do that, and I'll have to look into the, the UK's plan to do that, but I know that they want to be able to put verification systems in place so that you would have to prove that you're 18 years of age to enter that. Uh, plus sex education would go a long way to uh, giving, like, creating a healthier sexuality or at least ensuring that people don't go down that rabbit hole or that they uh, are more sure to develop a healthier uh, sexuality. I think, I think that's brilliant. I I think it's also in line with what people are doing, you know, or what we're we're seeing in Canada happen with, uh, with pot, right? So, you know, you have to be of a certain age to buy it. You have to use it responsibly. You know, like uh, the changes have happened in in Ontario where uh, where that started to be in place because people recognize that you know people are using it irresponsibly and and the brain doesn't really develop in the same way if if a substance weren't a part of. Uh, you know, uh, teenagehood experience. So I, I used to work at a at a center called the, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, and I worked in the early intervention unit. And that was a unit where people who used marijuana and had uh, their first episode with psychosis or a big break with reality, oh, wow. uh-huh. which was triggered from pot because the brain doesn't develop for a certain amount of time. And so much like you know, in port with pornography and young young youth, uh, it just the brain does not develop the same way. No, it ha- it, it does, and, and I think we need to accept that it, it does have an impact on the brain, which then has an impact on your relationship to sexuality, and then can lead to an unhealthy relationship to sex, or for you not to have connective 
sexuality, to see sex as something purely physical and have trouble connecting with a partner, even though it's may, it may be what you want intellectually, you may find it very difficult to do so. Yeah. That's, you know, that's really where if, you know, if someone's primed or someone, you know, and not just in, in childhood or teenage years, but someone who um, has had a trauma or someone who has, you know, uh, quit another addiction and they're now using pornography, um, it, it creates relational disruption in a lot of ways. And, and most of what I'm working on it with my practice right now is serving spouses who have been betrayed. So the impact of sexual addiction is really profound, not only for the individual, like you were saying, you know, there's a high degree of suicidality within the sex addiction population. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a high degree of PTSD and um, betrayal trauma that the, that their the spouse, spouse. partners um, face. And also, you know, the kids, the impact to the kids is that there's a lot of family disruption and there can be a lot of secrecy because, mm-hmm. you know, that we don't disclose sex addiction generally until the children are teenagers and, and if then. So they know that something's going on, but they don't know they don't why. Know why. It, right. it can be really tricky to not know that your reality as a child or teenager. It's quite scary. Uh, Sandra Lax is with us tonight, a certified sex addictions therapist. We focus on uh, sex addiction as we do the first Thursday of every month. So if you have questions for Sandra, for me, you want to talk about it, you want to find out if this is something that uh, uh, maybe you're struggling with, you want to find out if you are, then get in touch with us at 514-800-BY-TEXT. Coming up, we'll talk about uh, healthy sexuality after addiction with Sandra Lax after we check in with our CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. Tonight we're talking and focusing on sex addiction or sexual compulsiveness or compulsive disorder. That's the official... The official line, the official mental health diagnosis, compulsive sexual uh, disorder, um, but others call it sex addiction. More or less the same thing, right, Sandra? It's more or less the same thing, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about developing a healthy sex life after addiction. When somebody has a, a, a sees sex in a or uses sex compulsively, they clearly do not have a healthy relationship to sex, and it often impinges or affects their actual uh, real life uh, relationships if they are in relationships. So. Uh, how do you go from this unhealthy view and unhealthy behavior to now a, uh, a healthy, healthy sexuality? Yeah, so I'm really glad we're talking about this because, you know, it's the first thing that when I'm working with a sex addict, which I used to do almost exclusively, um, their, their fear was, well, if I get into recovery, sex would be boring. Right, it will be vanilla, mm-hmm. and and that has not has not proved true for the people that I've worked with. You know, the goal of CSAT, which is what what it stands for, is Certified Sex Addiction Therapist, is for people who struggle with sex addiction, much like someone we all we usually equate equate it to um, someone struggling with a food addiction. So. Um, what does unhealthy food look like versus what's healthy food? What's nutritious? Mm-hmm. What's nurturing? What's 
what will give you energy and power and allow you to feel strong and and enjoy the food that you eat. So we look at at, at sex much like a food addiction because, you know, different from alcoholism, we're not going to cut out sex. Right. We want, you know, it's a, it's a very facet of our lives and certainly our enjoyment in life. So we want to infuse it back in a way that's healthy. So how do people get there? It takes a lot of commitment and dedication and hard work to really unpack how someone got to use sex as the addiction in the first place. So that's looking at things like childhood trauma. It's uh, engaging in some um, uh, initially some sobriety. So what that means is there's usually a 90-day abstinence period where an addict is asked to abstain from all forms of sex, and that's usually where feelings come up. And when feelings come up, they're meant to be dealt with and they get practice in dealing with their feelings. So, you know, it, it's a it's a rather long road in terms of recovery. We say that it takes about two to five years to really heal and learn to manage sex addiction. Um, so when we are talking about healthy sexuality, I want to say we're talking about it as something that we, um, that, you know, that's a goal and that is, is difficult for not only the addict to re-engage in healthy sexuality, but also for the spouse or the partner, because there's been so much heartbreak, so much mistrust. So I think the first part of how to engage in healthy sexuality is becoming comfortable talking about it. You know, when someone is acting out and, and uh, you know, engaging in sex addiction, there's very little talk. It's all behind the scenes. Right. So, um in, to be able to talk about what you like, what you don't like, what feels like it's connective versus what feels like it's fantasy is a huge first step. Um, and allowing your partner also to say, you know what, tonight I'm not in the mood for, or tonight I really want to, you know, have sex or, or fool around is another big part of sort of honoring, like, initiating it and also being open to the fact that it might not happen that night. That's where sort of vulnerability comes in. Um Getting to know one's own body again, so figuring out, you know, what is sexual expression for you? What's arousal for you? Because it has to be sort of almost like the slate has to be wiped clean to redevelop healthy sexuality within the context of a relationship or within the context of, of human life versus virtual life. Um, yeah. And we, all, I always want to say that, you know, healthy sexuality always starts from a basis of being safe. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm listening to you talk in, in terms of the addiction model, but I've seen this too in, in couples where you have one who says, well, I can't live without sex and I need sex and it has to be more frequent. And, uh, and whereas the other person, the other partner feels pressured, feels almost assaulted by it like this is that these are the words they've used to say they have they feel abused by their own partner because of the the pressures that the that the other person places on them so their their intense desire for example or they're using sex to uh they anyway they claim or they tell their partner that that's the way they connect whereas the partner's saying no i need to connect before sex yeah. And so it creates this horrible cycle uh, of resentment on both parts. One feels like they're being denied something and the other feels they're being abused. Yeah, I, you know, I see that a lot, Lori. I, I work, like I said, I work uh, almost exclusively now with uh, partners and, and spouses of sex addicts. And the, one of the major things that I hear is not only am I afraid to re-engage in sex, but I feel so much pressure to do it. And 
And when I see a couple who's really doing their work, I mean, who's really, really aligned with each other and wants to see success within the relationship, they understand that the other person may desire something, but it's not their responsibility to meet that. And vice versa, they understand that their partner has, uh, you know, anxiety about this. And it, and it is a huge amount of vulnerability to say, no, I, I'm not ready tonight. Or no, that, you know, I don't want to do that. Or, you know, five times a week is too much for me. I can commit to two times a week or once a week mm-hmm. or whatever it looks like. And, and you know, couples who are who really have a lot of emotional intimacy in their relationship can typically work through mismatched sexual uh, appetite. Right. And that's a very telling thing when I see that in in a relationship that when there's intimate connection and affection and uh, compassion especially compassion Mm -hmm. uh, the frequency doesn't matter as much but when I see a lot of disconnect it becomes all about the frequency yeah I you know we talked last time last last show about um, the power of empathy in the recovery process for sex addiction and the and betrayed partners and, and spouses. And I see that as such a fundamental skill. And empathy, you know, is really, you know, what must it, I want to take your perspective, what must it be like for you? So what must it be like for you to have been sexually betrayed by me and now hear me pressuring you for sex? Right. What that, what that, that, what must that be like? And for a partner is, what must it be like for you to have struggled with sex addiction and are now in a period of sobriety and don't have a way now to to connect, you know, outside of what you knew as some dysfunctional patterns? And so I think that's a really key piece to, number one, knowing each other, and number two, talking about, you know, and renegotiating sexuality within the relationship. Yes, and it, and that takes a lot of uh, guts, courage, effort on both parts, the, the partner staying and, and even the, the addict who has to change all of that pattern. And I know when I say uh, to people who present with this, okay, let's start with that sobriety. Let's start, let's, let's see if, you, let's do the 90 days and see. Many times, like, uh, the response is, oh, no, I'll never make it. Oh, no, I. I this is you can't I, don't make me do this right <laughs> yeah so you get that's that. how you know it's an addiction when right. you can't give something up for 90 days of your life that's how you know and your and the desire to hold on to it and not know what else to do with yourself your time your feelings is a really big indicator that perhaps it has more power over you than you have over it and i know i hear that a lot too is like i'm gonna die no you're not going to die. Nobody has you ever know. died. Nobody has ever died no from lack ever of died. sex. Ever. <laughs> in the, you know, in the, in the same way when someone actually abstains from, from you know, sex or masturbation for, for that 90-day period, you know, the next period is I have so many feelings, I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. We're right. just re-regulating your system here. Exactly. I just got a text. Um, is there a website where you can see the listing? For psychologists, I went to help. I want to help a friend that faced verbal abuse growing up. I went to the IITAP, but that site is for sexual addiction. That's not his issue. So just to recap, IITAP.com is a good resource for anybody suffering with sex addiction and also to find a certified sex addiction therapist in your area. 
for a psychologist going to uh, the, uh, if it's in Quebec, L'Ordre des Psychologues du Québec, the OPQ uh, website, you can find a psychologist by uh, going to that website and find one in your area and specialty, etc., uh, etc. Et so you can look that. If you are having trouble and you want some names, send me an email, laurie at drlaurie.com, and I will be more than happy uh, to give you the names of people who uh, who I know uh, could deal with this issue. More with Sandra Lax, our certified sex addictions therapist. Healthy sex after an addiction. We're going to teach you how to be healthier. More steps for you coming up next. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. You're welcome to listen. You're welcome to text in and have your voices heard as well. Uh, tonight we're talking about uh, sex addiction or sexual compulsive uh, disorder. Although I want to point out, and one of our regular guests on the show, uh, has David Essel, who's been on the show many times, has always talked about it as not a disease, but as a way of coping with life. And I think that's that's the same way you think, uh, Sandra, and I think. Uh, Sandra Lax is with us, a certified sex addictions therapist out of Toronto. And that's what it really is. It's how it's using addiction to cope with life. So we have to teach people how to cope in order to have the healthy sexuality, how to cope better with life also. Yeah. So it's not just about sex. It really is about how you deal with your anxiety, how you deal with your past traumas, how you deal with family dysfunction, how you deal with all of these things to be able to get to the root cause uh, in order to develop a healthier attitude towards sexuality so you don't use sex to um, to cope with life. Yeah, it's the it, yeah, you know, it's the way it's the way that we numb out and most of us numb out whether it's through Netflix or whether it's through food, whether it's through gaming or whether it's through our phones, uh whether it's through, you know, sex addiction or alcoholism. I mean, there's a there's a real uh, you know, um What's the word I'm looking for? It's, it, 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 you know, sex addiction is on the, on the extreme end of it, but we all numb it. Most of us numb in some way, right? Well, like, we need it. Don't, don't we? Exactly. Like, we need it. Like there's spectrum. some. The word but, I'm looking for is spectrum. Yeah. So there's, a, there's the healthy numbing out. So healthy chilling where you really need to unplug after a long day and sit in front of your TV screen or go through your Facebook or whatever it is that just helps you not think for a bit. Mm-hmm. But there's a fine line between, or maybe it's not so fine, but the the line between something that's done compulsively and makes you feel like crap versus something that actually regenerates you and makes you feel better after you've done it. Comfort versus numbing. That's comfort versus numbing, right? Right. And so sex addiction is, is numbing. And when we're talking about healthy sexuality, we're talking about what feels comforting, what feels nurturing, what feels exciting, you know, to use the show title, what feels passionate. We want to look at these things that enhance the quality of someone's sex life, not, you know, not destruct one's life. And so, you know, so much of sexual expression is wrapped up in the way we communicate with we, with one another. We accept one another. We, you know, how we give and receive love and, and how we share affection. And so with sex addiction, it's usually 
Um, you know, how do I get satisfied? How do I satisfy my needs? And with healthy sexuality, we start to bring in the other, right? Mm -hmm. How do I show up for my partner? Am I a good lover? Am I giving my partner what, you know, what she or he needs? If I like it, you know, fast and hard, my partner says I like it to feel intimate and, and soft, then we have to recognize that in the relationship, those are the things that turn, may turn our partner on, even though that may not be what turns us on. So, you know, healthy sexuality, like we're talking about, is is participating in a relationship that's not only mutually beneficial, but also focused on the other, because addiction can be very egocentric at times and very driven by instant pleasure. And all I the time. Mm-hmm. All, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when I've seen couples who are reengaging in healthy sexuality, talk about what their desires are, what their passions are, what turns them on, and their partner really listens and then takes action with that, they they start to develop a, a, a trust in the sexual arena, uh, you know, hopefully after they've built the trust in the emotional arena as well. So do you do... Uh, do you do the work at the same time as you're dealing with a person's life coping, uh, like what led to the difficulty with coping with whatever it is? So obviously there's some, the deeper, the deeper issues you do it in, in parallel. At, you know, at times I would say that many of the spouses that I work with after the 90 day abstinence plan um, for the person struggling with the addiction, they may, you know, spouses may still be in trauma of the betrayal. I mean, they, the, many of them are learning after 10, 20, 30 years of marriage that there's never been fidelity. Oh, and boy. so it, yeah. it may take them some time to, you know, what we talk about when someone loses a loved one, that there's a grieving period of six months where sexuality may be impacted. And so, you know, with with this type of trauma, there's also a grieving period and a confusion period. So um, it's it's not always integrated in the initial uh, recovery. Certainly we're talking about it, but even, you know, some of the major goals may be if a spouse is really feeling shut down, then healthy sexuality may be, at, you know, taking the risk to put out her hand to hold her, her partner's hand. Or, or or his partner's hands. So mm-hmm. um, we we integrate sexuality in a way that feels safe and also feels timely to where they are in their recovery process because partners often have to deal with a lot of post traumatic stress syndromes right. uh, symptoms from the you know from the disclosure of the um, betrayal. So what's a good resource for partners? Ooh, I am looking into that right now. So um, Mending a Shattered Heart by Stephanie Carnes talks a bit about it. Okay. Um, I, I haven't found really specific resources yet, and that's why I'm creating, I'm creating a program. I, I know we've talked about it, you know, in our last meeting about how, wh- how to practice healthy sexuality and reframe sexuality after, you know, after uh, sex addiction recovery or in sex addiction recovery. So I'm going to get back to you on that next. Good. Um, but do you have resources, Lori, about healthy sexuality period that may be supplemental until I figure out? Because I, I'm in the process of development. Right. Off the bat, well. no. But for people at least discovering or wanting to know if they have an addiction, let's refer them to the IITAP website. I think that's important because there's a there's a tool on there as well. Uh, just one texter wrote in here, often people with sex addictions are selfish. They don't always pleasure their partners, so they may end up losing their partners, which leads to the loss of a sex partner. 
uh, it can lead to the loss of that sex partner. I'm not sure if they're talking about from the partner's perspective, but it's true. S- uh, sex addiction or sexual compulsive disorder is a, a very self-centered. Any addiction really is self-centered. I was just about to say that. Yeah, Ad- yeah. addictions are. You know, if if we think about it in terms of the person with the addiction is living in survival. And when we're living in survival, we have very little to give to someone else. So part of recovery is about learning how to get grounded and learning how to cope with life so that you can show up and see what's around you, not only in front of you, but in your in your peripheral vision. And I think that's very difficult and something that needs to be worked through. Well, um, I think in order to have recovery. Right. And I think tonight what we I think many of us have gained from this discussion is a little bit more compassion for the person who is the addict, even though they are viewed as the selfish one, the infidel, the whatever, that underneath it all is a lot of suffering. And that we need to have some compassion for that at the same time as we can help them overcome. Uh, Sandra, if people want to get in touch with you. Uh, they can contact me at www.sandralax.com, LAX, like the airport. Wonderful. Great. So thank you. If anybody wants to reach out to Sandra, again, sandralax.com. And we'll uh, catch up with you again uh, next month. Thank you so much for being with us. Sounds great, Laura. All right. Take care. Talk to you. Bye. Thank you all for uh, spending your hour with us. Really do appreciate it. Thanks to Dave Simon, our technical producer. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up here next on CJD is the CTV National News. Wishing you a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.